Hello and welcome to a time of edification with Caruso Ministry. Get ready to be edified and equipped to edify others. Ready? Let's begin. Amen. Alright, um, today we are going to continue our teaching on um, tongues by the Spirit. This is our fourth track of the series. Alright, our fourth track of the series, Tongues by the Spirit. All right, I just want to implore you. All right, um, we have already done three three tracks already for three previous parts of this teaching. So I want to implore you to please go and listen to it. All right, they are available on the discipleship page, and then also they've also been uploaded on the various podcast platforms. So you can do well to check it on the Telegram channel as well. So you can do well to check it and listen to it because we've covered some very important and salient points. All right. And so if you don't listen to it, you are most likely going to have issues comprehending some of the things I'm going to say, all right? Because I've laid some very important foundation in those things, all right? Um, and you see, let, let me start off by saying this, that you see, in as much as the teaching of God's word is supernatural and the teaching of God's word is spiritual, all right, there are a lot of things that we can learn from academic settings when it comes to how God, when it comes to seriousness, we learn things, all right? Um, you know, people oftentimes think because God's word is spiritual or supernatural, and um, this is already the teaching, so you can begin to write. Um, because people think God's word, or the learning of God's word is supernatural, they feel like the kind of seriousness that is needed to learn God's word can't be likened to the seriousness needed, like, for example, in academic fields or academic sectors. All right. But you see, I, I often say that if a lot of people gave, you know, just half the seriousness that they have for their academics or their career, if they give just half of it to God's word, their lives would most likely be better than the way it is. Or at least they would be a lot more serious spiritually than the way they are. Even of us give two times the seriousness that we had for spiritual things to our academics, chances are we would not do well in school. Even of us, in fact, give five times the seriousness that we have to our Bible or to spiritual things, the chances are, if we give five times the seriousness we have to spiritual activities or with our Bibles, to our academics or our career, chances are we still would fail at our careers. Because five times of our seriousness currently with the Bible is still zero or is nothing. That's the truth. And you see, the, the, the reality of it is this, is no matter how well you do in your academics or your career, no matter how well you do in your job, the truth is those things will not move with you past this life. That's the reality. No matter how successful you are in your career, best things, best, you, you have a very awesome job and you love what you do, you continue to work till your age into something, which is very unrealistic, all right? And then you will still die at some point. And whether you like it or not, you cannot take that job with you into eternal life. You can't take your job with you to heaven, right? You won't take um, that beautiful career that you have. You're not going to take it with you into heaven. So what am I saying is I'm saying this so you realize that, see, Everything you are good at on the earth, all right, or anything you are good at is witness against you that you could have been diligent with your spiritual life. That's the truth. Everything else that you are good at, be it a wonderful career, be it an awesome family, even relationships, because you see, relationships are hard work as well. People who have wonderful relationships work till they, get, till they got there, all right? And so even if you, are, you have a beautiful marriage, a beautiful relationship, the reality of it is, it will be witnessed against you if you don't have a strong spiritual life that you could have been good at something, but you were not. You know, a lot of people don't understand 
when Jesus was with Peter, and then Jesus said, um, from today on, I will make you a fisher of men. People don't realize that there was something that Jesus was trying to communicate there. Jesus was trying to communicate to him that, you see, it won't matter what career you wear. The reality of it is this, is that I, out of that career, then, you can understand the relevance, all right, of you with the gospel. In other words, it didn't really matter that, Je- that Peter was a fisherman. If Peter was, let me see something else. If Peter was a farmer, for example, and I mean a farmer in the sense of someone who harvests crops, Jesus would have still said, you know, leave whatever you are doing. I'm going to make you now a harvester of men. It wasn't so much about him being a fisherman as much as it was the fact that he, it really doesn't matter what you are. Do you understand? It really doesn't matter what career you were doing before. Now I will make you relevant to the kingdom of God. Simple. That's the thing. So, and that's the reason why you find Jesus even use other phrases too to you know refer to a laborer and kingdom of God. For example, you see him use the word physician. All right, when he told the Pharisees and said, those who are old require no physician. So meaning if you were a physician in the world before, Jesus could have gone and said, you know, I will no longer you no longer be a um, you know a physician in the world. Now I will make you a physician of men. Basically, because preaching the gospel to people is healing them of their infirmities, healing them of, you know, the infirmities of their flesh, you know, them being dead in sins and trespasses, etc., etc. Now, I'm just thinking about all of those things to say this, that you see, it won't matter what exactly it is you are skilled to do on the earth. It won't matter what you trained yourself to do on the earth, all right? Those things will stand as witnesses against you, all right? If, at the end of the day, you do not do effectively what God has called you to do, it's that simple. If you take your spiritual growth on seriously, all right, if you take your ministry or your service to the Lord on seriously, whatever you are good at on the earth will be weakness against you. All right. But then that being said, so I'm going to just move on with that to say this. So you see, Bible study is serious work. All right. Bible study is serious work. Bible study is not just some random work in the park. You know, when we gather like this to learn God's word Sunday evenings by 9 p.m., I'm not doing it because we don't have anything else to do. I can't say about you, but I can speak for myself. I have a whole lot of things to do. Just now. So I can promise you, we don't have these meetings just because, you know, well, we just want to be able to do another thing. Everybody's doing something. So let's just do something. Just that's not the point of this meeting. No. That's not the point of our Bible study meetings. You see, Bible study is a very key part of discipleship. You can never say a person is training your, you know, training in the Lord, um, strengthening your faith work, and he's not teaching you the word. That's not true. It is the fundamental part of discipleship. Fundamental part. You see, every other thing we do in discipleship stems from the teaching of the word. That's the truth. Every other thing, be it prayer, be it our flow in the Holy Ghost, be it giving, all right, be it um, our love work, walking in love, the believer's love work. Every single thing we do in discipleship, when a man is discipling another, everything he does stems from the teaching of God's word. That's the truth. All right, you will not know how to pray the right way unless you are taught to pray. All right, and so that's the reason why I've told you guys this before. Despite the fact that Jesus' disciples saw him praying, they still went to meet him and said, Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So it's a key part of discipleship. You will teach to pray and then you pray. Do you understand? And so Jesus will teach them to pray, and at the same time, he will then take them along with him to pray. All right, and then you see examples where he says he took. Peter, John, James, and John, he took them away with him, and then they went to pray. Do you understand? So, so that's the way discipleship works. You are shown how to do things, but then you are taught from the word how to do things. All right? You are taught, for example, from the word how to flow in the things of the Spirit. You are taught from the word how to flow in this, how to flow in that. 
all right and then you are now shown how do you understand me you see it you see miracles done you see miracles wrought through the hands of the disciples and so on and so forth and then you do yours as well it's that simple all right and in fact in discipleship you also have questions being asked and that's something important you see your disciple do something probably you try to do it you didn't see it happen you ask questions so for example you see the disciples when they prayed for the you know prayed for the child that was sick all right the woman who brought the child that was sick and the child and the child was not healed all right and then what happened they went and then jesus prayed and of course the child and of course the child was healed they went to meet jesus and asked questions why couldn't we so those are things discipleship is practical it's not just some esoteric thing all right questions are involved from time to time you're going to ask your disciple questions you know why am i being able to do these things that i was not able to and the disciple the answer your disciple is going to give you is not they are realms to these things and you are not yet on that level if that's the answer he gives you run away run away run away fast because jesus never gave that answer see listen to this there is always an answer for every christian question right now there is always an answer and there is always a biblical answer a biblically consistent and theologically consistent answer for every christian question that's it there's no such thing as see they are down to this thing and you cannot lay hands on it yet mm -mm, that's not true notice that even when they asked jesus a question what did he say he said this kind goeth not but by prayer and fasting and even though i'm going to do a much more you know clear and very um, a much more clear you know exegesis on that part i'm just going to say this that what jesus was saying there wasn't that this kind of demon cannot go out unless by prayer and fasting because that's not true that's not theologically consistent with what we have from scripture from what we have in scripture demons were made to be cast out by speaking bible says um jesus himself said these signs will follow those that believe in my name they will cast out devils all right and jesus in fact already spoke to these disciples in luke 10 in matthew 10 where he said cast out devils he gave them the authority to cast out devils all right so jesus could not have been saying this kind of demon cannot be cast out but by prayer and fasting no rather notice that the first thing jesus spoke about he said that you know when they said why couldn't we cast out this devil? he said because of your own belief that's what he said he said because of your own belief then having said because of your own belief he now said but this kind goeth not away but by prayer and fasting so in other words prayer and fasting is not for the demon the prayer and fasting deals with your own belief it's your own belief that is the problem if you pray for the sick and the sick does not get healed you don't try to and this is something i always tell people don't try to emotionalize things as a minister of the gospel help yourself a good way to always help yourself is say this see i'm growing do you understand it's okay sometimes to acknowledge the fact that when i pray for that person i actually wasn't in faith when i pray for that person i actually had unbelief in my heart it's okay to say you are still growing as a minister be honest with yourself you know don't try to explain certain things away just tell yourself the truth ah, there was some unbelief in my heart that's just the truth i can get better all right and so jesus told them i know the funny thing is this if you were with the apostles or with the disciples when they were praying for that woman chances are you would have felt that they knew what they were doing that's the thing because imagine that they had unbelief in their heart yes they went to meet jesus and asked him a question after he got the person healed now just imagine you are an observer there these people had prayed for the child they prayed for the child the child did not get healed jesus prayed and then he got healed and then the child got healed very likely the answer you would have is ah, it's jesus now i mean it's jesus i mean it's a whole jesus i mean what do you expect it's jesus of course the child is going to get healed but now the, the these disciples go to meet jesus and ask the question why couldn't we heal this child notice that jesus doesn't answer and say ah well 
you know, I'm, 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 I'm God at the man, God made flesh. That's what, of course, what do you expect? I mean, of course, I have to heal him. There's no other way. And you know, the reason you could not heal him is because, well, you're not me. That's not what Jesus said. Pay attention. Jesus gave them an answer. And the answer Jesus gave was that it was because of their own belief. Now, imagine you are an observer, an onlooker. You saw the disciples pray for the child. The child did not get healed. Jesus prayed for the child. The child gets healed. Now, the disciples now go and miss the child. Go and miss Jesus to ask why they could not. So, the funny thing here is, if you were to use your own observation, you would say, ah, these people must have been in faith. Because not only did they pray for the child, they went to meet Jesus after they had prayed to ask why they prayed and did not happen. So, from your own perspective, you say, ah, no, these guys were in faith. But the reality of it is, Jesus still says something. He says, see, it was because of your own belief. It's that simple. And in fact, when you look through scripture, and we always see when, whenever, for example, the disciples prayed for someone and the, the person was not healed, Jesus' response was always simple. He would call them a faithless and perverse generation. For example, at a particular point, he said, Oh, faithless, when, for example, they were when they were in the, in the um, storm, for example, they were in the boat, in the storm, all right, and then they went to wake Jesus up and he said, Are you not scared that we perish? Careless not that, that, that we perish. Jesus said the same thing. He said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? Same as well when, you know, the disciples also prayed for another, you know, another child, all right, and the person, and the child wasn't healed, and then the mother of the child took the child to Jesus. After Jesus healed the child, he did the same thing, he looked at them and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. So one thing we see consistently was that at every point in time where there was supposed to be a miraculous sign done, and they did not do it, the answer was simple, unbelief. Simple, ugly. And you see, we can try to explain certain things the way and try to, you know, say this and say that. But at the end of the day, we can be honest enough with ourselves to say, you know what? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm still just growing in this faith thing. It's fine to say it. It's okay to say it. I'm growing in it. But you know one thing I can tell you from experience and from the word is this, is that the more you do it, the better you grow in it. That's just it. There are certain conditions I'm going to pray for now. I cannot be moved. That's not the only part. I can't be. I prayed for them again and again and again. I still need again and again. The certain conditions I prayed for, I've not seen it so often. Just the chances are, if you, if you meet me with that condition for the first time, I might be a bit shaken. And I tell you, you know what? Let me get back to you. Let me spend some time praying. Let me just, you know, scare up my faith for a while. Do you understand me? So those are things you learn oftentimes by experience and then from exposure to the world. Now, why did I see all of these things I said? I saw all of these things just for you to know that you see, there is a certain level of seriousness that you must give to spiritual things. Stop a joke, all right. And that's why I said we, we're not just gathering here, all right. Um, Sunday evenings just because ah, well, we have so much time on our hands, we're looking for something else to do, we're looking for an extracurricular activity, just something to chill on a Sunday evening. And so we decided, you know what, Bible studies is the sweetest thing. No, that's not true, it's not true at all. All right, this is serious work, all right. It's serious work, and you see, you must attend to it as such. You must attend to it as such. There is a way, all right, to come. A teaching meeting, there is a way to be in a teaching meeting. That's the truth. There's a way to be in a teaching meeting. You see, even though, and, and you see, it's, it, it might be one of the downsides, all right, of having to use technology for this kind of meetings, all right. But you see, even though we don't have the choice and we have to use it, we can make the best of it, we can optimize it. We can, and you see, you have to by yourself be intentional about your own spiritual growth. There are certain things you don't do when the word is being taught. The truth. 
There's many things you don't do. It doesn't matter if you are not in a physical gathering. Even if you are in a particular place, wherever you are, it's just the way you're supposed to behave when you're learning God's word. First and foremost, for example, you must at least have your Bible, your notepad, all right, and your pen. Your pen, if you are writing, or your note, or maybe a tab, if you are typing or something like that, all right. Those things are basic. You can't learn God's word without those things. You can't, all right. And you know, for a very long time, and I think it's one of the things that comes with teaching God's word over time. You begin to learn. You don't assume because there are certain things you just think everybody should know, and so you assume that everybody knows it. But, but that's not, like, you know, oftentimes, you know, experience just reveals to you that it, it doesn't always work that way. So you must learn to at least your Bible, all right? And preferably a physical Bible, a physical Bible, all right? Your Bible, your notepad, all right? Your pen. Let those things be there. And don't just, you can't be following, you can't be listening to a teaching, all right? For example, you're in a meeting and you are listening to that meeting, all right? In the same place where people are watching film. Nothing makes sense. You can't, you, you will not pay attention. You can't be, for example, you're, you're, everybody in the house, they're watching a movie, right? It's sitting room. And you two are not there. They're watching the movie, but at the same time, you're listening to God's word. You might as well just leave the meeting and focus on the movie you're watching. Just now, it's, it's that simple. Do you understand me? If you know that you're in, you have to exclude yourself. You might have to separate yourself. Move to a solitary place. Go somewhere that you can pay attention and focus on the word. All right? Also, don't press your phone. Don't. Don't press your phone. This thing is not just even about concentration. It is reverence to God. It's reverence to God. That's what we are doing here. We are learning God's word. That's what it is. You understand? So don't disregard God in your heart. You see, there are certain, I, I always say this, there are certain lines you must never cross. There are certain lines you don't cross as a believer. These things are not, it's not even necessary. Don't ask, you know, all these weird questions people ask. They say, where is it written in the Bible? Don't, don't do that. For the sake of your heart, don't do it. Have certain lines you don't cross. Certain lines, you just create them as boundaries for yourself as a minister of the gospel. You know, setting boundaries. Don't pick calls during service. Just little things. Don't. For no reason. If you call me on a Sunday morning, best believe I will not pick your call. Don't bother. Don't bother. Unless, of course, maybe it's an emergency and then you send a text to it's an emergency. Then I will not pick it after. But you can't call me during service. And it's like, oh, you know, some people have just become, have, you know, some people just have terrible behavior, terrible culture. All right? And so somebody calls you during service, you just stand up. You just go out. Just stand up, go out, can't pick the call. I know someone I even do very funny things, you know, and they try to be you know, now stand up, but they are walking out, you know, you're bending your head. You just don't go. Oh, yes, yeah, serious, just go. <laughs> it those things are lines you don't cross for the sake of your because this is the thing. The first time it will happen, there's no big deal. Second time, third time, before you know it, it becomes a part of you. That's it. Before you know it, it becomes a part of you. So you don't even cross the line at all in the first place. You don't. There are certain things that, no, now these are just my own personal boundaries. I do not stand up in a teaching meeting to use myself unless I am very pressed. Very pressed. In fact, for you to see me stand up in a teaching meeting, for folks who maybe have been with me in long meetings, you know that. For me to excuse myself from a teaching meeting, to go and ease myself, ah, you know that, no, I can't, I can't do it again. I, I just cannot. I just, no, don't always want to stand up at any slight inconvenience. Just want to move. Just you boom, boom, down. Sit down and hear the word. Learn the word. Sit down and hear it. All right? Avoid side talks. Don't talk to your... You know, don't sit down. And that's what me, I would advise, if you can, 
If you know that your friends are going to distract you, don't sit down with your friends. That's it. Don't. I mean, I always make this joke now. If yeah, if you see me sitting down with my friends doing a teaching, you might think they're fighting because we won't talk from the beginning to the end. We won't. If I have, I used to have a very terrible friend there that if we are sitting down together and you dare make a side comment when, when the word is being taught, you just maybe you just a joke just came to your mind because of what the pastor said. You now just think you want to share the joke with her. The way she will look at you, you will know. You will know that you should you should not have. You should not even have bother. You know, I know you can this way, you're just laughing because you think the joke is funny. And then someone just looks at you from up to down. And then, you, you know, you don't, you don't I have the Holy Ghost. Exactly. You don't do those things. So you see, those things are basic things. that We used to know these things before. Well, you know, as you began to grow up, you know, you know, you got got more mature. You know, you began to have some experience. You just, yeah, but this is not that deep. It's not that deep. And that's the thing. Oftentimes, are not, it doesn't start that way. Little by little, you now begin to find yourself excusing basic Christian virtues. Basic Christian virtues. Some basic things, too. When you are going to church, for example, once you are late, if it is that you maybe you are going to walk for a particular distance, you are going to trek, the moment you are late, you start running. It's not, even if you are already in the car park, you are running. Don't now come to church late, all right? And then you are stolen to service. They are even snapping people, you are trying to. Why are you, why are you laughing? With? What is funny? Why is laughing with you? What's funny about service? What's funny? Something is going on. You are saying that they are shining teeth. No, and now you can have friends who will do that. It's fine for them, but not you. Not you. you know that? So at the same time, you also need to learn that. See, these boundaries are for me. I'm not doing it because other people are doing it. I'm not doing it to make people happy. I'm doing it for myself. I personally, I cannot get to church late and I'll be strolling in. No. There's the way you see me walk. If people already even know. There's the way you just see me walk. Because that I will not have said this. I will not it. I will not have a meeting, for example, with Bill Gates. And then I, I, I can never even be late. Let me even let ourselves. I can never be late for a meeting with Bill Gates. Anything that I want to do, best believe I am going to stop it. I would have if the meeting is 5 p.m., I would have most likely have gotten there from 1 p.m. Nothing can happen. But, you know, imagine. The God of the earth, you have a service to worship him, to learn his word, and then you just stroll him whenever. Just stroll him whenever. Some people will be chatting with their friends, they'll be late chatting with their friends along the way, and they're going in. Terrible. It's bad. And you see, we must talk about these things. We mustn't just let them go. We mustn't let them go. You know, before, when you thought that God was in the building, that, ah, you know, they would tell us that that church is the house of God, and that's where God is. You were wrong because you believe ah, as I'm going, I'm going to meet God. But the moment you learn that ah, my body is the temple of God, so now you now know you know you know Greek and Hebrew, you know the word now. You know that wherever I am, the Holy Ghost is there with me, God is there with me. So now along the way, so you're already little, you will now spiritualize it, you now be talking in tongues. Oh, serious. I'm not serious. Just go and talk in that tongues on the as you are running, be talking in tongues. Eh, that's that's a more a good Christian behavior. Show casually, just enter. Just like, like all of us are waiting for you. Wrong. It's wrong. Just like, so these are things that you must learn intentionally by yourself. Christian virtues you must cultivate. All right. And then last but not least, I'm going to say this right before we go into our teaching. That you see, one of the things that determines priority is sacrifice. And I'm going to say that again. A basic determinant. Of priority is sacrifice. 
In other words, the way you really know that you prioritize something is that you can sacrifice certain things for it. That's it. The way we really know that you prioritize something is that you can sacrifice something for it. And you see, as you begin to grow older, one of the things you realize about life is that life is a game of priority. And that's just what it is. Life is a game of priority. There are some things that are constant priority, and there are some things that are temporal priorities based on time. You understand me? So, for example, um, your priority in life, maybe, for example, might be uh, you want to be, maybe you are, you are working towards being a chef, you want to have um, an, an awesome marriage, all right, and so on and so forth. Now, those can be, there can be fixed priorities like that, and then there can be temporal priorities. Maybe at a particular period of time, you need to write a particular certification exam, all right? And so even though your marriage is your priority, for that particular period in time, you have to spend more time reading your books. Maybe sometimes at the expense of how often you talk to your partner, all right? Just because you want to, you know, face certain things, all right? Now, why did I say all of that? I said all that to let you know this. Now, basically, what that now means is because of your books of that application exam, you have to sacrifice, all right? You have to sacrifice your time with your partner to focus on that one, okay? Now, I tell that to just further prove the fact that priorities are known by sacrifice. So you see, you cannot say you prioritize spiritual growth and you cannot sacrifice for it. That's simple. You can't say you prioritize spiritual growth and you can't make sacrifices for it. And there are all kinds of sacrifices. And sacrifices differ from person to person. That's it. Sacrifices differ from person to person. But you see, you cannot say that you prioritize spiritual growth and you can't make sacrifices for it. Sometimes the sacrifices are physical sacrifices. Sometimes it is, you know, you know, stress in your body. You know, you are strained, you are stressed, you're going to get tired, so on and so forth. All right? Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's financial sacrifices. Sometimes you have to spend an amount of money. All right? Sometimes you have to buy books, spiritual books. All right? Spend those things. Sometimes it's the money that those used to eat. You used to buy books. To learn the word, all right. So that those things are necessary. So that might be maybe there's a particular sermon you want to hear, sermon you want to hear, and you hear that particular tape, you have to buy it. It's not free, and so you use that money to buy that tape. Just so because see, let me tell you something. On if the, a good way to test that something is priority is the moment you find a way to get it. If you find out that to get it, there's a sacrifice involved, and you second guess making that sacrifice. It is really not a priority. It's really not. It's really not a priority. Have you seen a guy I love before? <laughs> Have you seen a guy that really likes a lady? Like really loves a lady. See, there are some things that he is willing to do. He is really, he can be traveling up and down anytime. Just that, and particularly when he's in the honeymoon phase, that first three months of the relationship. He can be traveling up and down, jumping everywhere just because he wants to see how done and so forth. In fact, he doesn't mind the kind of stress he's going to go through. He doesn't mind the amount of money he's going to have to spend. He's going to make it happen. He's going to make it happen. Just that me. Because that's the thing. At that particular point in time, it's a priority to him. It's priority. And so you need to understand, you only know priority by sacrifice. You don't, you don't know priority by what you say. It's not by what you say. I really wanted to be in that meeting. If you really wanted to be, it will show. It will show. It will show. And it's one of the reasons why I'm usually not in a haste to make 
things compulsory for people. Because this is the reason I ever say. I always say that, you see, your decisions always reflect your values and your priorities. If I make you do it, you did it because I said it, not because you really wanted to. So at the end of the day, you will do it, but your values have not really changed. And so that's the reason why I'm not really keen on telling you, do this, do that, do this, do that. Whatever you do will be a reflection of your values and your decision. All right? And so when I see what you've done, I'm able to know, oh, this is what this person's values are. This is what this person's priorities are. And that's just what it is. Now, I mean, there are certain cases where, of course, at the end of the day, I understand that there are certain limitations. Sometimes you, you just cannot make it up. You just cannot be available for certain things. You just could not make it up. But it will show. It will show. That's the thing. It's going to show. All right? So sometimes you need to honestly ask yourself. And that's sometimes when some of you, when I get some excuses for certain things sometimes, I just ask you a simple question. I say, did you even try? Did you try? That's the first thing. Did you? I'm sorry, sir. I could not make it for that meeting because of this and this and this. Did you try? Did you try? What other way could you have tried? What other thing could you have done? Do you understand me? And some other times I tell you, I mean, there's some of you, I tell you, after you tell me what you are saying, oh, you know what? There's really no way you could have done it. I understand. That's fine. But for some others, the truth is, you didn't try. You did not. And you see, let me say something that somebody said. Actually, Pastor Shekhan Eka has said it. That has always run at the back of my mind up to now. He said, see, he said, no matter the situation you find yourself, no matter how hard a situation is that you find yourself, he said there's somebody else, wherever, that is serving whoever or whatever they call God in a tougher circumstance than you. He said those people will be witnesses against us of how far best we could have remained. I'm going to say that again. You see, no matter how tough a situation is that you find yourself, no matter how hard a situation is that you find yourself, there are people who are serving whatever or whoever they call God diligently, despite that issue. You see, those people will stand as witnesses against us that we could have been farming. That's the truth. That's it. <laughs> that, that, that's so oftentimes, you just honestly have to ask yourself, is this thing really a priority? Or do I call it a priority? Do I just call it a priority? Or is it really a priority to me? Those are questions you need to ask yourself. Is God really a priority to me? How far is too far with God? How far is too far? What are the things I'm ready to do? And if you do the thing, when it comes to priorities, you don't, you don't put your decisions on people. There are certain lengths I'm willing to go. The truth is not many people can go those lengths. Don't let me lie to you. It's just the part. There are certain things me I'm willing to do. I can do it to forget. Things you will hear and your mouth will open for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to do it. But you see, you don't do, you don't tell people to do things because you do it. Everybody knows the extent to their priority and the extent that they can go. And that's fine. You know, and that, you know, at the end of the day, your work as a minister is a personal work. You don't take decisions because other people are taking it. And you see, for some, for some people as well, I must say this, some people will lose their reward just because they were looking at the length that their friends went. That, that's just the reason people are going to lose their rewards. I mean, you know, sometimes just look at yourself, am I the only person? Am I the only one? Look at all my friends too now. Should be ah, them too. Sure, they don't know God. Don't they love God? Ah, are they not enjoying their life? Why is it my own that is different? That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's it. So you must learn to face your work, face your own consecration, face your devotion, and do your work. Do what God has told you to do. Just that. Just do your own and go. 
know what is priority to you and stay with it. All right, and know how that priority reflects on certain things. How does your priority reflect on your finances? Look at yourself in the past one month. What have you spent on the most? What have you spent on the most? Just that. How many times do you daydream about spending on the gospel? How often does it come to your heart? How often do you see, you know, things that people are doing for the gospel and you want to genuinely sponsor it financially? You just, how many times does it pop up? Have you ever, in fact, been in a fix where you wanted to send the money? But you had to say, but then this thing, there's nothing to eat again. Like, you already sent all the one you had before. You need to have something to eat. Just that sometimes, in fact, let me tell you the truth. Sometimes, priority is known by those extremes in certain cases. Sometimes, in fact, we will not have to call you and say, ah, it's too much, we are calm down. Don't, uh, just, uh, use wisdom, use wisdom, there's a way around it. Do you understand me? But you see, that extreme oftentimes has to be there first, initially. It has to be, it has to be there. There always needs to be that period of your time. Just like for someone who does get into a relationship, there's always that initial extreme phase where a guy who has a job in Lagos, has to get to work, his work by 8 a.m. He's talking to a girl every night for six hours. Every night. Every night for six hours. Now, that same person will now tell you that it's impossible for him to do a video throughout the week. A video of two hours throughout the week. But he can talk to a woman for six So can you see, at the end of the day, if you are being honest with yourself, your issue was never that you can't stay awake. Your issue is your priority. That's it. Everyone likes to hear this, but it's the truth. Your issue is your priority. So now, if your pastor now tells you, okay, Throughout this week, we're going to be praying 12 p.m. to 2 a.m. or 10 a.m. to or 10 p.m. to 20 a.m. All right, every night throughout this week, huh? you're not say, ah, What kind of pastors are those? Don't they even understand that somebody has to go to work? The same you that is talking to a woman six hours every night. The same you. So, can you see? It was, not, it was not that you could not do it, it was just your sense of priority. That's just what it is. All right, that's just what it is. So, I just really, I just said all of that, you know, just. So that you could do a self-evaluation and then and ask yourself a question. Is the gospel really a priority to me? And what am I willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? I think those are questions that the means of the gospel you need to ask yourself again and again. And it's not those are not questions you ask yourself once a month, right? Not, sorry, those are not questions you ask yourself once forever. You must have intervals where you ask yourself, all right? Once a month, once in two weeks, every now and then, just ask yourself, you know, what sacrifices have I made for the gospel recently? And you see, another thing is you must also grow in consecration. You must grow in consecration. I told, I told, I said it in you know last in the meeting in Ife yesterday. I said, see, you are either growing or you are regressing. There's really never anything like stagnancy in the Christian faith. You are either growing or you are regressing. That's the thing. Every conversation you have is never a neutral conversation. It either makes you more effective in God's plan for your life or it doesn't. But there's never really a neutral conversation. All right, so you are either getting better in your work of consecration or you are regretting. That's the truth. You used to fast a day in a week before. Now, if it has never crossed your mind, genuinely, you've been fasting a day in a week for so long. At some point, you should begin to think about I should be able to increase it into two times a week. It, it, those things should just come. Do you know that? It, it, but if it is that even the once in a week that you fast, you are not even consistent with it anymore. You before who, who could go three days dry fasting. Now you are fasting a day, 3 p.m. You cannot breathe well again. It's like you have asthma. Ah, MOG, what has happened? You know, Shelly. You know, Shelly. Now you, you know, 
You cannot, you cannot pray in tongues like you used to before. The same you who could pray in tongues perfectly. You will go, you will not get tired. You will go two hours. Yeah. Shaking. Everybody is vibrating. But now, after 30 minutes, after 45 minutes, no more breath in your lung. You can't pray anymore like you used to. And then, of course, as usual, you explain it away. You say, eh, you know those times now? I was I was younger. There's energy, you know, but now no, it's not just like before, exactly. You see, that's how you know a man who is backsliding. You always have excuses. You always have excuses. But when you think about the fact that there are men, like, for example, Bishop Dobia Kumui, Pastor Dobia Kumui, who at the age of 80 is still having crusades all over the country. You know, what are you looking for? If after 80 years, you are going up and down, or about 80, I don't really know which, you are going up and down, you are doing crusades. The question you ask yourself is it that he's looking for church member? You know that there are certain things that you do at a particular age, and it can't be because of selfishness. He can't, it's not that he's looking for church members, he has one of the most flourishing churches in the world, not even in Nigeria, in, in the world, in the world, and he's still constantly doing crusades everywhere, everywhere around the nation, around the world, having crusades here and there. A man of 80 years and a young man of 20 something, 21 or 22. Cannot pray fervently for 45 minutes. Imagine after one hour day. You've lost it. You're no more fervent. That's the truth. You've lost it. You're no more fervent for the Lord. You've lost your fire. You've lost your passion. That's it. You've lost your zeal. You've lost it. You've lost it. You cannot decide, oh, you know what? I'm just going to sleep three hours. I'm just going to sleep four hours. So I can spend time praying. Ah, you can't do that. No, I have to sleep six hours. If I don't do this, my brain is not going to be my brain is not going to be um, properly this thing. I'm not going to be, yeah, of course. You will keep giving excuses. Go on. You will have, and that's the thing. You will always have excuses to give. Genuine ones. That's the truth. You will always have genuine excuses to give. At least they will be genuine to you. Every single time. But the reality of this is that you are backsliding. You are. I hope you realize that when Saul sacrificed, when Saul did the sacrifice instead of Samuel, he had a genuine reason to, at least it was genuine to him. Everybody is already leaving. I was expecting you on and so did. You did not show up. Every other person is leaving. Will I fight a war without soldiers? Of course, you know, and at least the sacrifice I did was to God at the end of the day. So I, you would have, if you were there, you would have used to think about it. It's true now. It's true. I mean, you came with an army. Everybody is already going away because you don't sacrifice to God. Someone was supposed to come earlier. Why did Samuel come earlier? Why didn't he come earlier? You will, you will always have excuses and they will be genuine. That's what you need to know. You will always know. Sometimes when you know some of you reach out to me and say, sir, I cannot, you know, for this and this reason, I could not. I say, yes, no problem. I understand. I understand. I do. I know the funny thing is there will not be another person among you who is in that same situation or that same fix you are in. And the person will find this way. He will find it away. So, <laughs> oh, at the end of the day, it is your work with God. I don't think I'm your disciple. The best thing I can do is to you know show you from the word, show you my experience. Of course, give you correction from time to time. And that's why we're having a teaching like this, for example. All right, that is heavily instructive and corrective. All right. It's just so that you can learn and do the right thing. Learn and do the right thing. All right. Learn to make sacrifices. If it's priority, you will learn to make sacrifices. That's what the truth. You will learn to make sacrifices. All right. You will be able to see. Distractions or what distractions are, and I remember I said I said to someone, one um, somebody among you, um, yesterday as well. I said, you see, distractions won't always be bad things, and that's something you should also write down. Distractions won't always be bad things. Sometimes distractions are legitimate. Distractions is distractions will just be anything 
that does not align with your goal. Those are distractions. That's it. So, for example, if you are trying to get a job, or let, let me put it this way, you're trying to transition maybe from a banking job to a job as a product manager. As a product manager. And because you're not trying to transition, that means you're going to enter into a junior entry, junior level role. And probably the junior level role, they pay maybe 100k. 100k, right? Now, your banking job, let me say your banking job already, you're already earning as much as 250k thereabouts. But you feel like, ah, the future of this thing is not so stable. I'd rather move to a job where I can, I can be sure of exponential growth over time, all right? And so, now, let's even say at the point when you're about to buy votes, or you're about to actually move into a product manager job that pays you less, your company now gives you a promotion. And now, did I tell you from 250k, then now we're going to give you an 100k increase. So now you're going to be earning 350k. The reality of it is at that point in time, that promotion is a distraction. It's a good thing in itself. The promotion in itself is a good thing. Who doesn't want to promote it? It's a nice thing. That's an extra pay. You probably have a better office now, maybe a corner office or something like that. But the reality of it is at that particular point in time, for you, who is growing a career, that promotion is a distraction. So you see, distractions will not always be bad things. They will be legitimate things at times. Good things. That's the truth. So like David, all right, you have a lot of things that you are good at. A lot of things, but God wants you to be king. And you can sing, you can sing beautifully. In fact, you can also be a warrior so alongside. All right. And in fact, you take your shape very well. But still, listen, you cannot, you need to understand. If you are going to become king, there will be points where you're going to have to jump from one place to the other. So you you can't be stable enough to take care of the ship, no matter how much you are good at taking care of ship, and no matter how much you like ship. That's just the truth. Alright, so the reality of it is this is that there are certain times when see certain things are distractions to you. I, for example, I have a job. I'm a product designer. I have a job. I like to make money. I don't know about you, but me, I like money. I like it. You know that I like to make money. But the reality of it is this is that there are certain times when my job can be a distraction to me as a minister of the gospel. That's just the truth. At times when I'm preparing for a meeting, I'm not a product designer at that point in time. You can, for example, send me a message on the morning of a meeting and tell me that you want us to do one thing or the other. Maybe on Saturday morning, I'm supposed to be teaching. You now send me a message and tell me to, I'm not going to answer you. I'm not going to. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to. There might be repercussions, there might not be, but I'm just not going to. All right? But that, because that's just what it is. At that point in time, it's a distraction. It's a distraction. Now, you know what I'm not going to do? Now, if you now come and meet me and tell me ah, that you're supposed to have a, you know, you are supposed to have a meeting, you plan for the meeting. You already knew you are going to have a meeting, but your boss randomly just tells you that, you know, you need to show up for one this or the other. Now, I will say because I did that at my workplace that you should do it because it's my consecration. Me, I might be okay with whatever repercussion comes with it. Mm, no problem, no wala, because that's my own consecration. But I'm not now going to tell you that because I did it, you must do it too. You understand? Because your consecration is personal. What if your consecration cannot take it? What if, what if because you, you know, you don't show up, they sack you at your workplace, you now come and meet me and say, sir, it is your consecration. It is your own faith work. It is what your heart can take. It is the repercussions you are ready to receive for the sake of the gospel. So it's left to you. So you know what is priority to you. You know what are the sacrifices you are willing to make for the sake of your priority. You know. All right, you know. And so you must decide in your heart, all right? So 
I'm just gonna um end there. There's a lot more that I, I mean I wish I could say, but at the same time, too, we actually have to continue this series because there's a lot I have to say in series as well. So I mean, as time goes on from time to time, I'm gonna keep talking about these things because I believe they are very, very important for us to talk about. All right, so let's get right to it. Tongues and the or tongues by the spirit. Tongues by the spirit. I know so far so good we have um done a bit of an exhaustive study on Matthew 28 and verse 18. Regarding the subject of authority, all right, what it means to have authority or what authority actually means, all right, or the authority there by context, what it means. I'm not going to go there because of time, all right. We also, in um, in our last teaching, just, you know, did a brief introduction around what um, the things of the Spirit are, or popular misconceptions people have towards the things of the Spirit, people who believe that the things of the Spirit are inconsistent or should be inconsistent among believers. People who believe that the things of the spirit are mysterious or they are unplanned, all right. Uh, you know, and then we try to you know answer certain of those questions, all right, from scripture. Hallelujah. And so today we are going to um be moving into the subject of salvation and the, salvation and the Holy Spirit. Salvation and the Holy Spirit. And you see, <clears throat> one of the things that you must always learn, and please please write, one of the things that you must always learn as a believer or as a Bible student is that every Thing we know or everything we believe must be clearly seen from scripture. Everything we know and believe must be clearly seen from scripture. You see, you must never be open to any assertion or any doctrinal stance that cannot be clearly shown from scripture. And then the reason I said clearly shown from scripture. You don't just open your Bible and just see anything and pick it up and say, yes, that's what. For example, you open your Bible and then you see, and Judas hung himself. And then as you open it, maybe, you know, a lot of people will say uh, uh, the word for the day. Just open, and probably some of you have done it before. Just close your Bible, just open it. See any verse that my eyes lay on. Right, say so that's the word, that's God's word to me for the day. Let's say you now open your Bible, and what you see in front of you is and and Judas hung himself. They will glory to Jesus. The Lord would have me hang myself as well. Well, glory to God for say That's what I'm going to say. All right. But you see, so you see, the fact that it is written in the Bible, all right, and I want you to pay attention to this because this can sound very interesting. The fact because it is written in the Bible does not mean it is the truth. And this is what I'm trying to say. For example, in the Bible, you have the words of men, you have the words of God, you have the words of angels, you have the words of sinners. For example, when Potiphar's wife said that Joseph raped her, did he really rape her? No. But is he written in the Bible? Yes. It is. Here's that. When Potiphar, all right, also puts Joseph in prison because he believed that Joseph slept with his wife. Did Joseph really sleep with his wife? No. In fact, that's even you know a stretch. Let's go to the man of God, Abraham. When Abraham was with his wife, you know, and they went to, they met the king, King Abimelech, all right, and then he, you know, saw the woman of God, the damsel in Christ, saw her, and said, Ah, you know, this is God's gift to humanity. What is this? Is this beauty or what? Lay hold on you by the Holy Ghost. So he laid on the, and you know, of course, it was the light that was treated in her. 
What did the man of God Abraham say? She's my sister. Not my wife. Sister. Was that true? Some of them are saying, well, you know, it wasn't entirely a lie. You know, they are like cousins, you know, somehow. But was it, was she only a sister to him? No. There, there, there was more to them than just being brother and sister. No, it was more to them. Right? It was, they were married, a couple. But what did Abraham call her? He called her his wife. Was that written in the Bible? Yes. Is it true? No. And we can go on and on to look at different places where people lied in the Bible, where certain things were said that were not accurate, where certain things in fact were done that were not accurate. For example, in Luke chapter 9, and verse 54, please go there. Luke 9. <clears throat> Luke chapter 9, and verse 54. Or you can, you can start from verse 54, 54, because of time, I don't want to read through, but you can read through, you know, um, on your own. But I'm just going to give you a little explanation of what happened there. So Jesus and his disciples went out to preach the gospel. And, um, you know, that particular country or neighborhood rejected them. Right? And the Omolene Jesus, the, the protocol member, got annoyed. You know who this our man of God is? And rejecting our man of God. And then he looked towards the man of God and said, Sir, don't worry. There's no problem. In fact, just give us permission. Give us authority. Let us call down fire from heaven. And, you know, you know it's also interesting. They, they they made this scripture up. They said, let us call down fire from heaven like Elijah did. So they let him know, sir, we know the word. I'm a Bible. We're not just saying this thing because we want to do it. It was written in the Bible during. We've seen it. Only precedent, sir. You know that? Let us do the same thing Elijah did. And now, look at what Jesus said. Go to Luke 9. Luke 9 and verse 54. Luke chapter 9 and verse 54. And see how Jesus replied. He said, um, verse 55, sorry. He says, but he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. He says, but the son of man is not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And they went to another village. But sir, things in the Bible, Elijah called down fire from heaven. In fact, he did not just call it one time. If you read that encounter when he called down fire from heaven on people, he did it three, he did it the first time, the second time. He, on the third time, the captain said, ah, man of God, see, I'm not the one that came on my own accord. They sent me. Please, just pity me. Pity all that men that are here. Do you understand? So he did it not once. He did it repeatedly. But yet, do you realize that the, the disciples were about to do it? And what happened? Jesus rebukes them. So what that actually means is that if Elijah was with Jesus, very likely, in fact, we can see clearly from this scripture, Jesus would have rebuked Elijah. He would have told him, man of God, that's what we are supposed to do there. That's true. But do you notice, now, the question I should ask you, why was it important that Jesus rebuked them? Why didn't Jesus just leave them and look? Because Jesus knew that they could actually call down that fire. That's it. That, because, I mean, if they didn't have to call down the fire, there's no point in giving them. You just, just look at them and just do what you want to do. It's your problem. You understand? Yeah, it's not like I'm going to be able to call down any fire anyway. But it was important. It was very thin that he turned around and rebuked them. And says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. He said, see, the son of man did not come to kill or to destroy. He came to give life. So he rebukes them. He rebukes them. But do we, did we see in the Bible that fire was called down from heaven. Yes. 
Yes, same as well it, it is with the laws. For example, you see Jesus say that, you know, it was written in the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, and then he would correct certain practices for the, from the law. Were those things that he corrected, were they not written in the Bible in the laws? Yes, they were. But did Jesus correct them? Yes. You understand? So what do you see there for? You see, you cannot just open your Bible and pick things anyhow. You know, some people, they are, they are certified DJs. They like to mix things. Apropos. Just pick one bus from one place, another bus from another place, pick it together. You know, they, they are, and those are the kind of people that they use the Bible as reference. You know, the kind of people that they, they already know what they want to say. They then say, even the Bible says that. Uh -huh. So you know, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm looking for a very, very funny. I'm thinking of a very, very funny um, experience like that. All right, where you know, so people they'll say what they want to say. You say even the Bible says, and oftentimes that's what leads to quoting scriptures out of context because you are trying to use the Bible to satisfy a particular thinking you have. All right. Now when you say all of that, I say all of that to just say when it comes to making doctrinal assertions. All right, as a believer. You must always learn to make doctrinal assertions only based on detailed exegesis of scripture. Detail. Detail. You must have gone through the entire thing. You must have. You must have. In fact, you will realize that every time, and pay attention to this, every time a sermon was given in the book of Acts by the apostles, every single time they did a sermon, you would notice that there was a consistent pattern of always going from one generation of scripture to the other. For example, you look at, you know, Peter. The first sermon ever that Peter did, just, you know, let me just tell you to do this on your own. Hopefully you do it after this teaching. Go to all of the sermons of the book of Acts and notice how many references of the Old Testament was present. In Peter's first sermon alone, he referenced Joel. He referenced Joel, he referenced David more than once. He referenced David about two or three times. Imagine a first sermon talked about um, the resurrection from the dead that was prophesied. Talked about in Joel 2, the outpour of my spirit upon all flesh. Imagine. I'll talk about all of these things in just his first sermon. First sermon. Actually, do you realize he was preaching to unbelievers? Unbelievers, and you are quoting these more verses. Same as well with Stephen. Stephen literally did a commentary of the entirety of the Old Testament, starting from Genesis, went through all of the Old Testament prophets, all of them, now landed in Christ. Landed in Christ. Stephen, he wasn't even an apostle, he was a deacon. And do not forget, he was preaching to unbelievers. Is it not now interesting that you have believers? Believers, men with the Holy Ghost, they are being taught the word, or they are even teaching the word, and they cannot teach exegetically from different portions of scripture. They can't. They just pick one verse, one verse, one verse. Well, where did you learn it from? Where did you learn it from? You see, let's, see, let's always do this. Whenever you want to make a doctrinal assertion, you must be able to look at it from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And now say, you know what? This is my answer. That's how doctrinal assertions are made. That's how it is made. I've told you that I talked talk about it extensively in the Jerusalem Bible Conference. That the way Jesus actually taught that we see was that he had a consistent pattern of always answering things in its entirety. In its entirety. 
So he won't just, you know, pick one verse and say something. No, he would pick a verse, explain it alongside another, alongside another. He would give those verses context with other verses. That's how it's done. You don't just pick things anyhow. All right. So that being said, as we study on tongues by the Spirit, as we study on tongues, don't just say, ah, when we pray in tongues now, what's there to say about it? And you know, probably you might expect that in a series of tongues by the spirit, what are we going to do? We just come together and then we just you know talk in tongues and talk in tongues for a while, then we give word. We give word. I don't, I don't give you word, you just say Jesus is Lord, have a good night. No, no, even though of course we're gonna have time to we're gonna pray in tongues for a while, extensively pray in tongues for long, all right. But what we are going to do when we are studying tongues by the spirit is that we're gonna to go to scripture and see from one portion to the other. We're going to ask questions. We're going to look through. We're going to dissect. We're going to see wrong notions that we've had. We're going to correct it. Oh, my God, my God. That's how we're going to have our answer. All right? So, that being said, salvation and the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1. Let's start from there. Genesis 1. You see, there's something in Bible interpretation that is called the law of first mention. The law of first mention. And you see, what this law states is that um, in order to understand a word or to understand a particular phrase, it's always best to go to the earliest place where that particular phrase was used. All right, go to the, the first place it was used in the Bible. Oftentimes, that informs the meaning of the phrase subsequently. So, for example, the first place the word "holy" was used. All right, um, um first place the word "holy" was used was um, it was used as regards it was used between Moses. It was used for Moses. Sorry, when he was at the burning bush. All right, and then you know when the voice from the burning bush said, "Put off your sandals, for where you are is holy ground." All right, or for you are standing on holy ground. Now that ground was called holy, and you know the question you have to begin to ask yourself is this: What did the ground do to become holy? That's my one question. If holiness is something that you become because you do something, what did the ground do to become holy? That's my one. Number two: If holiness is about being clean. Just that it is about being clean. How can a bush be clean? That's number two. Number three, if holiness is about being white, just that being white, you know, every time we think of holiness or holy, think about white, pure. Question you have to ask yourself how is a bush? Don't let a bush forget all those pictures that you've always seen in that you saw in my, my book of Bible stories. It was a bush, a bush, a thick bush, just that the kind of bush where you move. Um, sheep, where you move cattle. So just imagine that kind of thing. How can a place like that be white? And so that now begins to inform your opinion to understand that for the ground to have become to have been called holy, it was holy because God was there, or at least because there was an activity of the supernatural taking place there. So the ground did not do anything to become holy. Of course, the ground cannot do anything to become holy. It is inanimate, all right. Rather, because something was being done. It was called holy. And notice that the ground did not call itself holy. All right? It was the person who was using the ground, all right, that called it holy. In other words, at the same time, a man does not decide whether, whether himself or whether he is or he is not holy. He only responds to one who has called him holy. So your capacity to say you are holy or you are not must not be based on your own premise, not your own conviction of yourself, all right? It's not based on what you think of yourself. It is the person, all right, who 
indwells you, or better still, depending who has authority, all right, that determines you as holy or not. And then what you say now conforms to what that person said. All right? So a man is holy because God calls him holy. Because God has decided to make him holy. Then the man now says, oh, I am holy because God called me holy. Simple. Do you understand? You are not holy because you are so, you, no matter what you do from today to tomorrow, by yourself, you can never be holy. Never. By yourself. All right? For a man to be holy, it should have to be that God declares that man as holy. And then he now responds to what God has said and says, oh, because, because God has called me holy, I am holy. But then I just played all of that to make you see that therefore a man's understanding, all right, of the word holy or our understanding of the word holy has a lot to do largely with the first mention of that word in the Bible. Simple. All right. But then now let's now look at the first mention. So now we're looking at salvation and the Holy Spirit. All right. Let's look at the first mention of the word spirit in the Bible. First mention of the word spirit. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3. Genesis 1 from verse 1 to 3. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Hallelujah. And so you see that what you have here, at least what we believe it to be, is the creation of the world, all right? And you have here the activity of the Spirit. It says that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. It says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, you know, at this point in time, you actually need to ask some questions, actually. You need to just ask some questions. And, and this is also something I must also ask. That when you go to Bible study, don't suspend your mind. Because it's something that people oftentimes think. You know, a lot of times when believers read their Bible, they suspend their minds, and they just want God to show them revelation. Show me revelation. Show me. It's, it, there's a reason your Bible is written in English and not tongues. Your Bible was not written in tongues. If your Bible was written in tongues, then it makes sense for you to also speak in tongues so that you understand what it said. No. The reason your Bible is written in English. It's written in English so that you can use English. And you didn't learn English by the Holy Ghost. If you learn English by the Holy Ghost, people who don't have the Holy Ghost will not know it. You understand? There's a reason you know English. You learned it even before you were saved. All right? And then you have a documentary material given to you in English. So that with your understanding of English, you can sit down Spend hours on it, read it, and understand it. It's that simple. All right. Now that being said, so you must ask yourself questions here. All right. When he says that the spirit of God moved upon the face of the water, you must ask yourself questions like, for example, were things already created here? Were the seas already created? If they were not created, how then could the spirit of God have been moving upon the face of the water? Or what were the waters that the spirit of God was moving upon? Those are questions you need to ask yourself. All right, questions you need to ask, very important questions. Another question you need to ask yourself is this. The light that was created here, what light is it? What light is the light that was created here? Is it the light of the sun? Is it? Go to Genesis 1, Genesis 1 from verse 14. Let me show you something. Genesis 1 from verse 14 to 18. <clears throat> and God said, let there be light in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights. So can you say that God is making two great lights here? God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, 
and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Hallelujah. So we see that in Genesis chapter 1, from verse 14 to 18, is where God actually created the sun and the moon. So the greater light to rule by the day, and the lesser light to rule by the night. So the sun and the moon were created in Genesis 1, 14 to 18. So now, back to Genesis 1, verse 3, where God says, let there be light, and there was light. What light was created? What light was created? What light? And so this is, the, this is a very important place for where mind or reasoning works. You have to think. Now you have to begin to ask yourself questions. What other lights exist aside the sun and the moon? If the sun and the moon are not there, what light would have existed? What light would have existed? And another question is, so when he says, um, you know, the way, the way days were measured was a day and a night. All right, that was the first day. A day and a night, second day. A day and a night, third day. The question I begin to ask yourself is this. If the sun and the moon did not exist up to Genesis 1 and verse 14, how was a day and a night counted before the sun and moon existed? Those are questions to ask yourself. If the sun and moon, again, I'm going to say that. If the sun and moon did not exist until verse 14, and things were already being created before this point, how then was a day and a night known before this point? How? That's by the way. All right. Another question you need to ask yourself. Look at Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> let's just read, or better still, let's just take a survey of the things that were created in Genesis 1. Survey. Genesis 1. All right. So let's run through. For example, you see in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 6 or verse 8, you see that it says, you know, God divided, God made from, um, Made the firmaments, all right, divided the waters above the firmaments from the waters below the firmaments, and he called the firmaments heaven. That's verse 8, all right. Um, verse 10, he created the earth, or he called the dry land earth, and the gardens of the water he called seas. In verse 12, he brought forth grass and herb yielding seed, all right, creating trees and stuff like that. In verse 16, the greater light and the lesser light, that's the sun and the moon, all right. In verse 21, he created the sea creatures, that's the whales, living creatures that moves, um, winged fowls, so on and so forth. All right. In verse 24, he created cattle and creeping things on the earth and beasts of the earth, so on and so forth. In verse 26, or in verse 27, he created man in his own image. All right. So we see all of the things that God has created. So at this point in time, if you are to look at Genesis 1, you would believe that at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, for example, Everything that God wanted to be created had been created. Because look at what it says, in fact, in verse 31. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the morning and the and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So according to Genesis 1 and verse 31 here, God had created everything. And in fact, not just had he created everything, what he created was good. He liked what he created. But now go to Genesis verse 2. Genesis chapter 2, sorry, Genesis chapter 2. Then chapter 2 and go to from verse 4. Genesis chapter 2 from verse 4. I'm going to read together. Genesis chapter 2 from verse 4. He says, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. He says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth. So now we are seeing it before. 
every plant of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Now, this is some confusion. According to Genesis 1, all right, the trees of the field, the plants, the seeds, the sea creatures, so on and so forth, all of those things were created before man was created in Genesis 1 verse 26. But now we are seeing in Genesis 2 that God, that we are seeing in verse 5, every plant of the earth before it was in the earth, of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. So now according to Genesis 2 verse 5, it looks like before those trees and so on and so forth will grow, man would have to be present to till the earth, and there would have to be rain upon the earth. Pay attention. Next verse. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Let's continue. Oh, sorry. Oh, I, I even jumped. Sorry. Verse 6. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole place of the ground. So now we see the rain he's talking about. A mist came up from the earth and watered the um, the face of the ground and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and man became a living soul. He says and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he puts man whom he had formed. Verse 9 now pay attention to verse 9 and out of the ground made the Lord God grow to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The question you now ask yourself is this. When were the trees created? When was man created? According to Genesis chapter 1, from verse 26 to 27, particularly verse 27, man had been created, not just that man had been created, the Bible says male and female created he them. But according to Genesis 2, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 is where man was just formed from the earth and with the breast of and with the breath of God's nostrils. According to Genesis 1 as well, we see that trees and shrubs and so on and so forth were created in the earth. But according to Genesis 2, we see that those things were not created until a man was present to till the ground and until there was rain upon the earth. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, let me just stop there. There are other things I wanted to say too, but let's just stop there so it doesn't get too tricky. All right. Now, so in other words, what then do you see in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? What we see, therefore, based on these things, is that what we have is in Genesis 1, we have a sort of prototype of the things that God wants to create and the things that he wants to exist. And in Genesis 2, we now see the actual way those things were formed. But because of the mannerism of writing, and for, if you want to understand this better, I would advise that you listen to our teaching on um, Exploring Salvation 1, a study on Genesis, because we went through this thoroughly, right? That is a more thorough teaching of this. I don't want to go into all of that right now. But what you will see is that Genesis chapter 1 represents a form of prototype. Like, you know, for example, when you want to build a house, I mean, for we have quite, you know, we have some builders here. When you want to build a house, you, you need to have a plan for the house already, all right? So you mean an architect here already, you know, does the plan of the house, so on and so forth, how it's going to look, you know, 
different kinds of views, side view, front view, you know, um, bird eye view, so on and so forth, all right? And so on paper, the house already exists, all right? And so what you now begin to, to do is you begin to replicate what you've seen there and actually make it happen. And so that's kind of what we see in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Because according to Genesis chapter 1, he says male and female was created. But according to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 is where Adam was created. And in fact, the woman was not created until the end of Genesis 2. That's Eve. Until the end of Genesis 2, Eve was not created. All right. So you have to ask yourself questions. All right. So according to what we see, we therefore see that Genesis 1 must have been a prototype. Okay, this is what God wants to do on the earth. He wants this to be there. 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 But it seemed as though God had made those things happen. But on better study, as we begin to look through, we now find that in Genesis 2 is actually where those things began to exist. Genesis 2 is when man was actually formed from the dust of the ground and with the breath of God's nostrils. The trees of the field actually came about after there was a mist that rained upon the earth and after, you know, man existed to till the ground. Now, I said all of those things to now say this. That would mean, therefore, that in our understanding of the book of Genesis, particularly Genesis 1, we have to pay keen attention. We have to pay very keen attention. We cannot just take things randomly and literally. We cannot. As you see, for example, it says, let there be light, and there was light. And clearly, as you see, the light was not the sun, neither was it the moon. Do you understand? And the light, and yet, there was night and day before the sun and the moon. How? How? So clearly you see that the book of Genesis requires an in-depth attention, much more in-depth attention than we give it. And you see, to understand the book, right, there are certain things we need to do. Go to, go to Luke 24. Luke 24 from verse 25 to 27. But there's a way we need to, there are certain things we need to have at the back of our minds as we read this book. Luke 24, 25 to 27, I'm going to read, which says, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I want to believe you're there. He says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? He says, Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All right. Now, when he says, Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he's actually referring to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, the first five books of Moses, that Genesis to Deuteronomy, and then the rest of the prophets, Joshua to Malachi. And so, Bible here tells us that Jesus was able to explain about himself from the Old Testament scriptures. That's what we see here, all right? Clearly, because the context of this portion was just had just been risen, had just, you know, risen from the dead, and people were scared, all right? That, ah, we didn't see Jesus in the tomb. We don't know what has happened to him. And so he was, when he called them fools, he was trying to say, don't you guys think? Are you guys not reasoning? In other words, if you guys had paid attention to the words that were spoken in Moses and in the prophets, you will not be shocked that I am risen, or you will not be shocked that, you know, this man is no longer in the grave. If you paid attention to what Moses and the prophets have said, you would have known that the resurrection was going to happen. All right? So he says, we are fools and slow of how to believe, the, believe what the prophets have spoken. All right? Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. So it means, based on what the prophet said, shouldn't you know that Christ will suffer these things and then will rise from the dead? All right? And then he now says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All right, the things concerning Jesus Christ. Move to verse 44. Um, okay, let's leave there. Go to First Peter chapter 1 from verse 9 to 11. And this is where we're going to round up because of time. First Peter chapter 1 from verse 9 to 11. It says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now pay attention to verse 10. 
He says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and sat diligently. Of salvation, he says, the prophets. That's the Old Testament prophets. He says, they inquired and sat diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you? So even though the prophets were in the Old Testament, those prophets prophesied of the grace that would come unto us. And what is it? He says, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Again, um, searching what or what manner the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. In other words, and I'm going around here, I'm going to round up here. As the prophets of the Old Testament spoke, the spirit of Christ was signifying through them the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. In other words, as we pay attention to the words of the prophets in the Old Testament, which we are going to do in subsequent you know, teachings, as we pay attention to their words, we must expect that by looking through the Old Testament scriptures, we will be able to understand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now, if you are paying attention to what I'm saying, you must begin to have some questions in your heart. Questions like, if you read through the Old Testament, you will never find the name Jesus mentioned. How then is it possible that from the Old Testament, we can see enough information about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow? I don't know. But just like you, we are going to look through. We are going to pay attention. And we'll see that just as Jesus said, if Jesus was able to explain about himself from the Old Testament scriptures, we as well must be able to sit down Pay attention to the details. Look through. Ask questions. Answer those questions. Exegetes. Look from one portion to the other. And we must also be able to arrive at the same conclusion that Jesus arrived at. We must be able to look through all of the Old Testament scriptures from Moses down to the rest of the prophet and say, you know what? Of the truth, salvation through faith in Christ Jesus was written there with. Glory to Jesus. Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, reach out to us on carysoul.media at gmail.com. We call you blessed.